everyone. It's Becca Skutak from Equity and Found, and today we're doing something a little different. We're spotlighting one of our sister pods from the TechCrunch podcast network, TechCrunch Live. Each week, TC's fabulous Matt Burns goes live with experienced founders and successful investors to talk all about building startups, and here's one of our favorite sessions. Hey, everyone. This is TechCrunch Live, where we help founders build better venture-backed businesses. I'm Matt Burns. And I have a confession to make. I've never raised capital for a startup. I've worked at TechCrunch since 2008, and I'm not an entrepreneur. I don't have what it takes. But today's topic is raising a Series A, and so that's why you should listen to Jenny Lipcord and, and Guillaume Dizirik and on today's show together. Now, they're going to walk us through the different steps on what it takes to raise a Series A. And we're going to talk about the difference between a seed stage and a Series A and what documents are needed for both and how to manage investor expectations in raising both rounds. Now, I've been raising a capital, but I can still do math. And between the two of them, they've raised over $300 million. And that's a whole lot. So they know what it takes to get an investor to sign a check. I hope you find today's event uh, helpful and interesting, but there's more. Jenny wrote a blog post today, and we published it on TechCrunch about two hours ago with these specific steps on what she feels are, are the steps needed to raise a Series A. You can Google it by just Googling TechCrunch, how to fundraise a Series A, or it should be in the chat right now on all the different platforms. And speaking of platforms, if you're in Grip, that would be great. I know we stream on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, but on Grip, you can jump in and ask questions, which I'll be asking today and interact with the pitch practice, and it's a great time. Um, one more thing, next week, TechCrunch Live is taking a virtual trip to Minneapolis, Minnesota. We have a very special extended episode planned, and I have two other panels planned along with a pitch competition to find the best startup in Minneapolis, and that winner will get a free tickets to TechCrunch Disrupt, so I'm pretty excited about that. But we're going to talk through the local ecosystem, why that, that city's having a moment right now, and what local investors are funding. So please come back next week, same time, it's live as well. But first, today, we have How to Raise a Series A with Jenny and Guy, and welcome, to, welcome, guys. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, well, Jenny, I, I want to start with you. You've been a venture capitalist for some time now, and before that, you were an entrepreneur and raised a lot of money. So I was hoping you could talk about the, the fundraising atmosphere right now, what it's like for founders. What it's like for founders right now, I think, is a little bit of a TBD because we're in a bit of a holding pattern. So um, a lot of venture capitalists went off for the summer. A lot of venture capitalists told their portfolio companies, don't try to raise this summer. It's going to be the hardest summer probably to raise in. And so there's a lot of pent up demand uh, for raising already in a week or two from now. So it was ugly, I would say. And now I think that there's still a lot of capital that wants to deploy into really good companies mm -hmm. and a lot of companies that are going to be kind of hitting the, the market uh, for fundraising uh, in probably a week to two post Labor Day or in the venture capital world post Burning Man. Um, and so I think it will only will only know in time there are a lot of people that are like me where we have plenty of capital we want to put it to work we're excited about the market it's not not particularly thrown by it um but at the same time i think the, that people are going to be a little bit back to their disciplined ways a very different game that was probably paid that than what was played the past two years so it's different but i think that capital is still going to be there for the for the getting uh, briefly, can you can you tell us what caused this? 
Oh gosh, you really you want to take up the whole time for that? So basically, no, that's why I said briefly. Yes, briefly. Okay, <laughs> highest level. Uh, COVID happened, and you saw a lot of COVID accelerated businesses, and a lot of uh, so a lot of companies got funded, and things went up into the right, and the stock market went up into the right. And a lot of discipline went by the way, said, and almost everything got funded and got funded at crazy multiples and the market continued to grow. So as the public market got hit, it makes sense that in time it's going to work its way down through the private market and certain uh, uh, valuations make sense if you're expecting a 10 billion or $25 mm -hmm. billion dollar company. And it doesn't make as much sense when that company that was valued at 25 billion is now valued at 3 billion. So as the public market changed and the valuations changed, it dramatically Dramatically impacted, very quickly impacted the private markets. Oh, very good. That you did that. That was okay. that was very Excellent. brief. And it was a great crash course. All right, Guy. So uh over to you. I mean, you're you're here to talk about well health and, and it's fantastic. The the company is this this great platform for communication within healthcare. And take us back to when you were raising your seed round, though. What was the priority then? Well, I had never raised capital before. So Matt, you know, you, you opened by saying you'd never raise capital. I'd never raised capital. I wasn't an entrepreneur, you know, first time founder, new industry. Um, I grew up in the Bay area. So I thought I had a leg up and I got a rude awakening. I tried to do it on my own. I went knocking on Sand Hill road. I swam with people who I found out were investors with at fancy companies like Andreessen and Sequoia and things like that. I didn't know what those names meant. So I knocked on their doors. They let me in for meetings and I got a lot of rejections. So I felt the taste of rejection very, very early. Um, and I realized that I was, you know, in a little bit over my head. Luckily, mm -hmm. um, I went through an accelerator. So I chose to take the path of going through um, uh, an incubator. I went through the Techstars Cedar sinai LA program, their oh, inaugural sure. program. And I chose that program because it was a healthcare specific program and I didn't have that experience. And I found a fantastic partner as part of that program, an investor who pledged to me that he would lead our seed round. He, I think he liked me, he liked the company, um, but his check size was 400 grand and that wasn't enough to where we needed to go. We needed to raise a couple million dollars. So um, luckily um, the business, you know, was still early. We had a good story. I could sell me and I could sell where we wanted to go and jenny was the first call we made and the reason after you know meeting this this um this investor his name is david waxman at 10110 so he introduced me to jenny it was the first name that he had and honestly his context to me was jenny's going to be tough to get but mm -hmm. if you can get an investor like another seed investor jenny and freestyle are the ones to get and i fell in i fell in love with freestyle i fell in love with jenny that's a true story by the way there's no uh jenny knows there's there's no minced words between us um what i liked about jenny which is true to this day was three things. One, she's a founder. Matt, no offense, I wouldn't take your money. Not at the seed stage. You don't because... I don't have any money. Okay, well, <laughs> that makes it easy. I don't have to let you down. Um, but but honestly, I, um, I needed somebody who'd been through it before. I wasn't a founder. So I needed to fill that gap. And Jenny was a multiple time founder. Um, second is I really value feedback. I knew I didn't know what I was doing. And I needed somebody who would shoot it to me straight. And I got to tell you in diligence with Jenny, she shouted to me straight. She told me a lot of things that would later become reality. I listened. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't necessarily act in that moment, but I listened. Um, I learned a ton. Um, and then third was the brand. You know, Freestyle had a great reputation. Um, they were local. They were in the Bay Area. I diligenced a bunch of companies. I recognized the company's names. They'd gone really far. Um, so that was what I was looking for. 
Um, I was not, you didn't ask this question, but I was not looking for valuation. I've never cared about valuation. Somebody gave me the advice once that raising money is like getting married, except you can't get divorced. Mm. So I took that advice to heart. Um, sure. Yeah. Well, I, I think you made Jenny blush there. So I had to give her a chance to talk, mm -hmm. but Jenny, I was hoping you could take us through that first meeting. What was yeah. It like? So first off, having David Waxman, who is an investor I've worked closely with in the past, think very highly of say, I have a special founder, I'm investing, you got to meet him makes a huge difference right versus a cold email coming in back to guillaume you know knocking door to door very very different when that door gets knocked that way and the moment i met guy and as he started to tell the story started to tell me who he was i knew that i was talking to someone who's a special founder you can hear it when you hear him speak right he's humble he's thoughtful he's smart all he wants to do is get better which to me is like someone who's going to listen i'll be wrong a lot i just love founders who want to be the best they can be and listen heartily. And I loved his vision. I had actually, this is rare, but I had just experienced the problem he was solving because he'll get into what his business does. But basically I'm a working mom, great husband, but have a lot, a lot of work as a working mom with three kids and the pediatrician's office would not text with me. And so I'd be in meetings and have to take the call and the back and forth. And yes. it, it was making my head explode. So I switched pediatricians because I could not, the doctor was fine, but I couldn't deal with the front office. So when a person who is a smart, thoughtful, coachable comes in already, you know, verified by David Waxman, pitching a solution that he says the world will need, it was like, I mean, after that, all the diligence I did was to support what I already knew I wanted to do, which was invest in ghee and well health. Yeah. So uh, when, in, when entrepreneurs come to you, Jenny, right, what's a good way to introduce themselves? And, and how do you how quickly do you figure out that investor entrepreneur fit? Yeah, it's a really good question. So I always recommend to founders that coming in a warm intro is a world of difference. So I will reply to cold emails. I think all VCs, these, I don't want to say all, many are trying to reply to cold emails and read them the same way. But man, it, it makes a world of a difference to come in through a fellow founder, through a VC, through some source. Um, so there's that. And then the second thing is to just be really smart of how you use your time when you get that meeting. And it talks about it in the blog post. I know we'll talk about it a little bit as we go through Guillaume's deck, but really being thoughtful about what main points do I have to get across in the amount of time I have. And your goal is to have meeting one, give you meeting two, and leave that VC super interested. And that goes into the founder fit. So when a founder is really intellectually curious, enjoys debating their business with you, has thought through a bunch of things, even if I don't know every last detail, I'm going to want to learn the details because, and that's exactly how Guy left me, where I was left saying, I want to work with that guy on that company. Now I got, now I have to work backwards and learn what I need to know. And by yeah, the way, on the other side, in my chair, you feel that too. When you're pitching investors, there's a big difference in an investor who wants to know, who, who's digging in and wants more. You feel it. There's a big difference. And the investors who are on the fence, uh, they've never worked out for me. Yeah. And, and how how far down the road should founders be looking? Should they, should they be thinking about their Series A as well? So when a founder pitches for their seed and understands what milestones they will hit, 
with their seed, it's really good, right? To be for founders say, I'm raising the seed to, and I need, cause I know X, Y, Z and I want to prove ABC, right? And then I'll be in a position to raise cause I've proven ABC. That clarity of thinking is just beautiful thing to see as a VC. And I put this in the, the blog post, but like a lot of times uh, founders will say, I'm raising $2 million because I need office space and a lawyer and three employees. It's like, I don't like how you use your proceeds is one thing. I want to know what I'm buying, right? Where, how far are you going to go with this round? And so, yes, thinking about your series A, less about so you can raise, but more about that kind of strategic milestone thinking is a really, really good thing. Well, Guillaume, you brought along your Series A deck, and let's take a look at that. You, It's a big deck. It's how many, 18, 22 slides, 37 slides, something like that? Yeah, we're only gonna look at, I think it was 18, but yeah, we're going to look at four. We're going to look at four of them, and this is the third slide in. So this is right at the beginning. Can you take us through this? So Matt, I think the context the audience really needs to know is uh, I had a really hard time raising my Series A. So Jenny was already my investor, but... Jenny in the opening statements talked about investors going to summer. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I lived with that. I went to market for series a tried to time everything before everyone went to Italy. And I just got no after no after no. And we had this conversation with Jenny and this is, I'm telling the story because it's the birth of this slide when Jenny and I sat down and she was like, gee, I have portfolio companies for raising money who, who are raising money and they're successful and their business is not as good as yours. Like you actually have a really good business, but somehow you can't get anybody to like even get to a second or third meeting. So we got to figure out like how to make right. you learn how to raise money. Like, I mean, the message was, Guillaume, you suck at raising money. So we got to work on this together. Going back to feedback, right? I love that. And I was like, all right, that hurts my ego a little bit, but like- I use better words than did. suck for the you record. Did. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe you did. I'm more, I'm more terse than Jenny is. Um, but this slide was the birth of that because if you can't get me to, to meeting two and your business is good, Let's hit people with that intro slide with why the business is good. Um, so we spent probably more hours than we care to admit coming up with what showed up on this slide. Everything from, you know, the employees and the funding were really, we were really, really capital efficient. You know, we had two and a half million of ARR. Most of the money was in the bank. I think we still had two million in the bank. So we had made mm -hmm. more ARR than we had spent. Um, and that was a talking point that I had. You could see that, you know, our customers were three times bigger than our cost to acquire them. And it was a really, really sticky product in a big industry. So that was the story we we're trying to tell here to get people to want to dig in, take the meeting and learn more. But, you know, August and September were dark for me after Labor Day is when we started phase two of, of the fundraise. Now, I think this slide really illustrates the difference between a seed stage deck and a series A deck. As a seed stage investor, Jenny, and you can weigh in here, I don't think you would lead with numbers like this. No, you definitely would not. The seed is way more about the founder and the big vision and having a reason to, and the macro trends, having a reason to believe with a little bit of like early starts of signs of success. But by A, they, you know, it's, it's a very, you need business traction. And I think it's worth noting that not every story arc for series a will be the same and what was smart about Guy and i would say and me working together is realizing where are we losing them like this is a good business and so i think what was happening in Guy's case is he was telling a very good narrative but without the numbers they just didn't even know 
they weren't paying enough attention. So you often have to get the VC to kind of sit up straight or lean in, in the five, first five or 10 minutes. And you either do that with some big vision combined with traction so that they care enough to pay attention for the next 20 minutes. So Guy would sort of realize my business made sense, but yet I was getting all these passes. Okay, well, let's put like the most critical things that they know about your business front and center so it can't get lost. Sure, sure. And I think what he said there was was pretty critical. You need to show the story with the traction. Wherever the traction is, you have to lead with that. Yes. You can right. start with story, um, really high level story, a slide, a two, three. But by slide four, you have to show them that it's actually working for them to then care enough to pay attention. Yeah. They yeah, want more case. than a vision at C at A. And in our case, it was just a sentence. This, there's a title slide, then there's a sentence. This is what well is. And this is, you know, we got to this slide within 15 seconds. I mean, we didn't spend any time on the other ones. This was really the first slide. Well, let's take a look at the next one. And this, so this is goes, this is halfway through the deck now. This is not the next slide. Yeah, correct. Um, and this goes back to what Jenny was saying. I was telling a story before. We had to completely rejigger the order. I'm not kidding when I say Jenny probably spent 100 hours with me on fundraising. I sucked at fundraising. Uh, let's use different words. I was not so good. I was not experienced in fundraising. <laughs> experience, not experience. I see I'm taking your advice live, Jenny. Isn't this great? Um, <laughs> Very coachable. <laughs> I was telling this story of like huge market, texting is needed, modern communication is needed in this market, and like we have mm -hmm. a fast sales channel. And that wasn't compelling to people. They heard texting, healthcare, uh, like regulated industry and enterprise. Ooh, that's tough. Like, I don't really want to do any of those things. So we lost people. So that's why we started with the numbers. And then we gradually got people, we got to those concerns. And this was one of them. It was, you know, healthcare, how are you going to do it? Is it really big enough? And can you sell in healthcare? I kept getting feedback that, hey, I've, I've, I've backed healthcare founders. They get to 10 million of ARR and then they then yes. they flatline. You know, that's just the way it goes, Guillaume. Sorry, but I'm not taking a bet on you. So this was the slide to say that is not going to happen to me. I'm building a go-to-market machine. It's not going to tap out at 10 million. Tam here is over $8 billion, which is honestly probably a little overstated. Um, I didn't know that at the time. No. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was irony. I get it. Um, but we wanted to show that we were going after two markets. Again, ACVs were strong. We had proven results. This wasn't one contract. This was 33 contracts in the mid-market. It was nine contracts in the enterprise. They were. This was a repeatable motion. And that's where the diligence would, would prove it out for, for Series A investors. But we knew this was a concern and this is why we screwed up the pitch the first time around so getting to this later in the deck kind of helped quell those concerns once they got excited about the numbers how much money real, you can i can i layer on that matt is that sure. okay the yes. real wisdom that Guy just shared with you all is that he was listening deeply to the concerns on the other side and then he we crafted how to get ahead of that concern and so a preemptive strike on a concern you know is going to pop up work significantly better than having to defend you know get in a corner but you know here's my concern and then you're telling them why that won't be the case so getting in front of the concerns you know vcs have about your business is a far better strategy sorry go ahead matt no i, I was going to talk about the relationship here right because key was saying jenny you've spent a hundred dollars hundred hours on this <laughs> this pitch is that is that an average for for all your portfolio companies it's not an average Guy, I mean, he's, he's, I need a TLC. Guy, I need a TLC. 
<laughs> he he was struggling. It was a really hard A, and he was um, he was listening and trying and learning. But I've I've said it before. Sometimes sort of speaking VC is like learning a new language, and some come by it a little bit more uh, easily. And he it was it was it was harder for him. So it took a lot of time, and we were sending audio messages back and forth. I think like I mean there was a lot happening so that Guillaume could learn how to sort of really take his amazing mm -hmm. vision and, and traction and deliver it in a way that it was received. And so, no, it's not an average of 100 hours, but it is an area where I spend a lot of time with founders. I guess the, I would, the, the real question here is, is, should seed stage investors or should founders raising seed consider their Series A investors as well Should to help them get over that hump? I mean, I'm going to shamelessly self plug here, but I mean, I think that a big part, if I were a founder going to, out for my seed, knowing that that person is so helpful in getting my A in addition to other things is absolutely something I would look for because it's pretty critical. Um, I think I'd be out of business. I'd be out of business if I, if I had not brought in the right seed investor candidly, I didn't, I, I didn't know how bad it was I fun I was at fundraising at the seed stage. Um, mm -hmm. but I knew it was an area I would need I would need to flex um and that Jenny would help me with that. It was part of her pitch to me. I mean, in, in the early days. I, I honestly believe I'd be out of business if what? if it weren't for that. Yeah. Well, let's take a look at the next slide. So this is about vision. You know, we, we've sold people, the numbers are amazing, the market makes sense. They don't need to be scared about healthcare and enterprise, and you know, those those concerns will be unique for everybody. Then it was, you know, what's the future? Um, people were worried, texting and healthcare, texting seems like a commodity. There's companies like Twilio, you can build it yourself. Why are you gonna be different, Guillaume? What's special, what's unique? And this was the story. I mean, our pitch was really, we're creating a platform um, and platforms are really, really hard to replicate when you have hundreds and thousands of vendors integrated into your software. You wanna, when you make it easy for people to plug and play, this is the Slack, Asana, you know, this is the Salesforce story. So that's what we were trying to bring to life. Um, obviously, none of this was real yet, but we wanted to, to sell this vision. And to Jenny's point about seed, it was, what are you signing up for? You know, if, mm -hmm. if, if you write me a check for the Series A, what are you going to get for it 18 months from now when I go out and raise my Series B? The sure. other thing I want to point out that Guy did here and why he needed to is you don't get to see the slides where he talks about the macro trends, but he had a number of macro trends really working in his favor. So patients were acting more like consumers than patients because they had higher deductibles. And Guy, there was another reason. Um, Oh, and they were used to being able to to tax like it now seemed yeah. annoying like hey i can do everything else this way why do i have to have five phone call exchanges to get something done and because it was their own money they would move like i had move offices doctor's offices that's something that did not happen five years before he started well so he really had to explain like yeah you can look mm -hmm. at it like this very functional here's a problem here's a solution but let me tell you how it plays out and let me tell you in five years there isn't a doctor's office a medical office that cannot not treat their consumers aka patients 
this way, they will lose them. And so that was a big part of being able, once again, speak VC is like, turn that on for them. And he had a bunch of examples to explain, just like, I don't know, what was it? CVS didn't want to do prescription delivery. They used to want to bring people in the stores. Or I don't know. I don't remember which examples you ended up using, but you really had to bring this home. Do you, Matt, you have you, one more you, slide, you can, right? Yeah, uh, I think this this was actually the last one. But it's funny as as Jenny's speaking, she still pitches my company better than I do. You know, <laughs> she's like she's, she speaks VC, she's good at it. And I remember I just going back to the feedback piece. I remember Jenny would speak like this to me after I'd call her after an investor meeting and say, I had this great meeting, and she'd say, "I'm not sure that was so great. Here's what I would have expected." And it was like, "Oh my gosh, oh no!" And then she would ask me what I said, and I was very I was always very honest with Jenny. And then she would she would she would give me her pitch. And she knew that I was writing notes and writing everything word by word on my notepad. And eventually she was like, Gia, I want you to put your pen down. You're not gonna say it exactly the way I say it. Do you remember that? I you were totally like, remember I just this, want yeah. you to remember the essence of what I'm saying. I don't want you saying exactly what I'm saying. I know I say it really well, but you're gonna have to say it your own way. You know, and like that's that that's the magic of it. That is my advice to anybody who's out raising around. Find a partner like Jenny. Don't worry, end up your partner might not be Jenny, it might be a different person, right? Like personalities have different fits, but that is the most important thing. It really is. You hear VCs tell you, don't chase valuation. I'm a founder. I have never chased valuation. I'm so happy I haven't. What, what's and I just want to layer right on. Now? Hold on one second. Guy, what's your company worth right now? Uh, I've gotten term sheets over a billion dollars. I haven't signed them. Sure. So I don't know. The market's down. So whatever, somewhere between zero and a billion. No, okay. Well, I, I think we're closer to a billion on that. But you you were going into a very interesting subject there. What do you do after the meeting? Jenny, I'm hoping you can take us through from an investor point of view. The, the, the founder leaves the room. You're the investor. What do you as the investor do after they leave? So if the founder has left the room and I just can't stop thinking about them and the business, then I'm following up and say, hey, I would love to see your sales pipeline and dig a little deeper. Like I am reaching out and requesting more. And that's why I always say your goal is not to tell them every last detail about your business or prove that you know every last thing. It's to leave them excited and have them begging for more. And so I'm typically following up within 24 hours when I'm really kind of crazy excited and my schedule allows. And so the other thing to realize founders is it's not not all you. A lot of times someone has something personal going on in their lives. They're about to take off for a trip. So when I, once again, if my schedule allows, I respond in a certain way of, I want more. And that's exactly what I did with Guy. Mm -hmm. And the thing I do want to though bring back to where Guy said the most important like advice or whatever is like have someone like Jenny. I'm going to disagree with, I'm going to layer on to that. I appreciate that is the most important thing is kind of put the pen down, meaning we all are going to tell you things. You're going to read more online than you ever want to read. You're going to hear everyone with different opinions. Just listen, think, don't take copious notes. Don't try to do it the 10 step process, just like he said or she said. Listen, understand why, and then do something that works for you. There is not a one size fits all ever. Yeah. And, and then Guy, on the other side, you just left the room and you left Jenny in there wanting more. How the hell do you handle that anxiety? Well, in the early days, I didn't really know if somebody liked me or not. Um, so I just kind of assumed I had to go to the next one. You know, it's all about pipeline, you know, in sales, keep the top of the funnel strong. 
every time I screwed up is when, oh man, I got to work on, you know, not being as black and white. Every time I have not, things have not gone as well as I would have liked, I stopped working on the top of the funnel. And when you don't have pipeline, you know, the deal dries up and, and mm-hmm. you stop selling. So I just focused on, on the next VC, on the next partner. I can tell you what Jenny's describing is so true. Um, and, and sometimes personal things get in the way. An investor may wait three days and say, I'm really excited this thing came up. But you might hear that excuse a couple of times too. And then you know that, that they're not the right fit for you. And they just want to stay in the picture for the future rounds. But the investors, every single investor we raised money from, like there was immediate feedback probably within 24 hours, you know, we were texting, we were emailing on weekends. Um, when you feel that spark, like, you know, it's there. Um, and you might have to talk to 200 people to find it, just like you might have to court 200 people to find your spouse. When, when is it appropriate to follow up with the VC? I'm the founder. I just picked you. Jenny, I, you, you haven't responded to me. You're ghosting me. When is it appropriate to follow up? It's, it's definitely a, a bit of an art. The, the, fir- art. the first one is easy. Hey, it was great meeting with you. Your point about XYZ really resonated. I already looked this up and I'm just going to try it out tomorrow. You know, so it's like you, you're there. And then it really helps to also share more information because momentum is your friend. Like momentum really helps your fundraising happen. And so I never like, I never recommend to founders that they say, hey, this is going fast. That kind of language does not work. But if feces can smell your emotion, it does. So if you say, hey, great meeting, you know, however you want to personalize it and then say, hey, someone else had asked me to do a slide on my sales pipeline. I thought you'd find it interesting given the questions you asked. I'm attaching it here. But it's that idea of like, I listened. I want to feed you more. And it just smells a little bit like to the VC, like you're not the only one looking. But mm-hmm. do not use language like going fast, you know, et cetera. Yeah. So what are we missing here, Jenny? You wrote that big, long blog post, and I think we've covered most of it. I just want to make sure that we give you due credit. Um, I actually think we covered most of it. I think the biggest thing at A, and which Matt, you said, is you're selling the vision and the traction. With D, he did do a good job raising his series seed, and I had to convince him, like, we're hitting a reset button. What worked in seed? You don't just add a few more slides on traction. You're kind of telling a different story and you're kind of coming in differently. So you start over with blank mm-hmm. slides, make your points ridiculously clear and high level, load up all your data and your details in the appendix. I've seen so many founders vomit tons of information on a VC. And then rather than leaving the VC excited, they leave the VC with a headache, which is never your intention. So Think about what's hiding in the back in the appendix versus the story you're telling. And don't come into like do a hard, hardcore sale. Have a conversation about your business. Be intellectually curious. Um, and I think the rest of it, I think we've covered almost everything else. Yeah, it's been a fascinating conversation. And, and coming up next, we have a pitch practice where we have people come on and actually pitch you guys. But one more question before we go, right? Is so so Guy, how much are you raising right now? Well, I'm always raising. I'm not raising an amount right now. Um, I, I've raised a hundred million, um, and right now we have cash in the bank. I'd like to continue our capital efficiency story, where we're doing more than a hundred million dollars in revenue before I go out for capital again. Mm-hmm. In this environment, I've got to be honest. The feedback I get, and I think the feedback most founders get who aren't early, early stage, is what's your path to cash flow break even. What does that look like? How do you retain cash? We have no idea how this environment is going to continue. I've heard that, so, yes. Um, 
Uh, now, the way I think about it is building relationships with growth investors and private equity firms. You never stop fundraising. The funnel always has to be be large, but I'm not I'm not actually looking for anything right now. I'm just trying to build relationships so that when the timing is right, the partner the partnership already exists. There's already a friendship, and you know we just put pen to paper. I, I think you can speak VC pretty pretty well now. Really well. I was about to ask a question, like Guy, when did that switch happen for you? Because it's like after the A, and then it happened. It happened well, right? It was harder, but after that, you, it's been kind of flip flopped, where they've been all over you, and you've been, you know, not, you know, you've been with a bit of a hand up. What's like? When did when did the switch go on, and how did it go on for the founders that are listening? So I just really focused on the business and execution. That's the truth. I've never worried about the accolades or the the the, the, the public ego or any of that. I just focused on the business. And when you do that long enough and you're successful, people hear about you. So RB, I got a phone call. Hey, I heard about you. I was diligencing one of your competitors. You came up a lot. I'd like to meet with you. Let's go get dim sum. That's how RB started. And then I went and got dim sum. I didn't have an agenda. I just wanted to talk about the business. Sure. And I wanted to learn about my competitor, right? So th that gave me a lot of confidence. I think focusing on the business really was, was my learning. It's what made me successful. And then once the business had that traction and it was repeatable over time, that story made sense and people believed it. So that's when it switched for me. Now I don't think about it as fundraising. I don't think about it as a sale. I think about it as meeting really interesting people. They might yeah. like the business, they might not. That's okay, I'll probably learn something from them. And if we click, hopefully we'll be able to work together in the future. Yeah, yeah. Well, and if you founders could do, if you could at least pretend that you feel that way, which she's confident, didn't need the money, <laughs> also makes a, a, a founder even more attractive, and then is enjoying seeing it as a, a smart meeting where I'll learn something that's usually uh, correlated to success of a VC wanting to give you capital. <laughs> yeah. Off that seed, though, because you're you're not paying yourself, you're out that's of money. True. So it's the psychology change. That's what I'm saying. Heard. I said, if you could like rub your temples yeah. and, and and feel that way, yeah. Yeah, this has been a great, great episode. Thank you so much for this. Uh, I mean, you, you two are fantastic, but we we are going to move on. So now we have a, what's called pitch practice. And this is one of one of my favorite things that we do at TechCrunch. We bring entrepreneurs on, they apply earlier on in the show and they're picked today and they were given really no time. And they have two minutes to present their companies to us three and everybody watching. And then afterwards, they're going to have four minutes of feedback from you two, just on their pitch. It, the, what we're trying to drive home here is that it takes a lot of practice to pitch a company. And so this is pitch practice. And the first company we have up is Lex. Lex is with Motions Clouds. Lex, are you there? I'm yes, I am. There you are. All right. Fantastic. Well, Lex, you have two minutes to present your company, and you should see a timer starting now. Thanks. Every year, insurance carrier, fleet operators, and airlines spend over $30 billion US dollar on processing inspection and damage assessment processes. It is slow, labor-intensive, and expensive. We are Motions Cloud. We help vehicle insurance carriers fleet rental operators and airlines to automate inspections and damage assessment processes. MotionStar uses IoT, augmented reality, and AI computer vision technology to evaluate damages based on images and complete the damage assessment in three hours instead of three weeks, cut 75% of processing costs and improve customer experience and retention rate. Since we started Motions Cloud, we have some successes. Currently, we save on average one and a half hour working time per case. We are saving average 80 US dollars per case on the processing, and we have a user rating of 4.5 star over 5 star. 
Wolfsystem is unique. We are leveraging IoT sensor data to automate damages uh, notifications. We are using computer vision technology and deep learning technology for the damage assessment and realizing reality features to capture the standardized pictures. Today, we are a global company. We are serving clients around the world. We have signed 22 clients in the US, Europe, and Southeast Asia with big names and generally. Our clients are insurance carriers, food operators, and airlines. We have a great team to succeed myself and four founders have many years experience in the insurance claim industry, serial entrepreneurs, so two companies in the past, and also have a great year, many years experience in AI and software application development. So if you're working in the insurance carriers, fleet operators, and airline industry, please talk to me after this. Thanks. Lex, that was very good. Right at two minutes. Thank you for that. Jenny, can we start with you? Sure. So first of all, I thought that was really good. You told a story and your traction, which was excellent. So I'm going to go more into critiquing mode, um, which is that you gave a lot of data in the beginning that you you first want to make the point like why they care about the value proposition for them. So if you're going to lower their costs and increase their response time, tell me a story about that. Like basically, if if we are able to respond so much quicker because the certification, and once again, I don't know your business well enough, but the inspection happens five days instead of three weeks, then we can respond faster, which lets that business we're selling to win the, the business and that increases their revenue in the future anyone who doesn't have this will not be competitive right like so tell me a story and then you can support it with exactly how many minutes or five cells out of five stars but i care less about a bunch of the numbers you were throwing out and more okay. about the story and then you can say a few numbers or you can wait for the vc to ask like you say you reduce time but like by how much or you say it's a reduction of cost by how much but like better to first hook the VC on a true value prop and why the person you're selling to truly fast forward three years, five years will not be able to live with without what you're offering. Okay. That was good. Hey, Alex, thank you. First of all, um, I feel this pain. My car was hit a couple weeks ago. I had somebody drive literally three hours to do an inspection. And when they told me they were driving out, I was like, let me just take a picture. This is like $200 of damage. I don't need you to come out here. So six hours round trip. So I feel your pain. So first of all, makes sense. Um, but because I feel your pain, you surprised me a little bit. You were like, on average, we save half an hour of time per case. And I went, you would have saved me six hours on my case. So why is it just 30 minutes? It makes me want to dig in. Like, uh, what is it that's just doing 30 minutes? Um, uh, just a few other kind of pieces of comment. Um, one, um, I really wanted to get a better idea of two things, scale. So you mentioned how many customers you have, but I, my mind went straight to cases because I feel the pain. I wanted to know how many cases have you done? Are you 10 cases in or are you 10,000 cases in? Because then I know how seriously to, to take your, your, your scale. And then mm -hmm. um, second, I left myself wondering at the end, because you talked about airlines and other big industries, is this a consumer solution? Would I experience this in my problem statement or is this for businesses? I'm Boeing and I need an inspection on one of my planes. So that wasn't as clear to me. You might have said it, but I was so wrapped up in my personal story that um, I was excited about what you were solving. So thank you for thank you for the pitch. Thanks. Andrew. All right.
Very good. Thank you so much, Lux. We'll see you next and, time. Uh, I was going to say, do you want one more thing, Matt, or no? Let yes, go. please. Oh, so I would say and one more thing. I do agree with what Guy said, and um, and I did write about this in the blog. Make it really clear who your customer is. I think I got it, by the way, Lux, but just I'd make it super clear who it is and the value proposition to them. Why can they Why can they not live without what you're offering? Um, and so that's my, I, I think the fact that Guy missed that means that you should double click on that. Yeah, you were spot on on the story. So I was thinking all about my story and I was telling my story in my head. So I probably was glossing over some of the narrative. Yeah, yeah. great point. But good job. Thank you so I much. I agree. Uh, great job. Thank you so much. Good. All right, great. Well, thank you so much, Lex. Reapply and we'll have you back. Bye. Next up, we have Ashley. Ashley is coming to us from Alma Health. Alma Health has raised above 100,000, but under 500,000. Ashley, I see you on there. There you are. All right. Great. Thanks for being here. You have two or two minutes starting now. Did you know that we make an average of 226 decisions a day on food alone? Whether we're at a restaurant, shopping at a grocery store, or just looking in our fridge, we have so many choices. That's tiring. As women, we want to make healthy choices for ourselves and the environment, but it's hard and we don't have the right information at the right time. What's better for me and the environment, salmon or chicken? That's where Alma comes in. We're a positive helper in your pocket, a personalized Google Maps for your health and sustainability journey that fits seamlessly into your life to help you make lasting holistic health choices. Our Web 3.0 app uses artificial intelligence, behavior change science, and community to help drive outcomes. At a restaurant, we give you three healthy choices from the menu that fit your tastes and lifestyle, along with the environmental impact. We recommend workouts that fit with your hormone cycle and the weather on a rainy day, one that you can do at home virtually with a friend. 78% of Americans say wellness is more important than ever, and 77% are willing to make changes to reduce the impacts of climate change. This is the perfect time to solve this massive problem, and we have the right team to do it. We have a proven track record of delivering outcomes and scaling innovative AI solutions at companies like Amazon and Facebook. We know how to build AI products from scratch that drive behavior change and serve a global audience. We're supported by strong advisors and Johns Hopkins University. This is a huge market of hundreds of millions of women with high potential returns. We've doubled our wait list month on month developed mocks and a technical architecture, and we validated assumptions in 27 data sources. We're looking for investment to build the MVP of the subscription-based app for Android and Apple, supported by AI. We have verbal commitments on funds, but we'd love to have you join this exciting journey to impact women's health and the environment. Thanks. Ashley, I love that. So is it chicken or salmon? <laughs> So it depends on where it's sourced from. That's the hard thing and what it's uh -huh. done with, uh, what it's, yeah. And where you uh -huh. are too, right? So like in Spain, salmon's coming from a different place than if you're in the UK. Oh, interesting. There's a lot of different facets, but we can use AI to uh, figure those out. And uh, just a quick one, Jenny, I saw it was your anniversary on Twitter. So happy anniversary. Ah, thank you very much. Oh, <laughs> Good researching. Great. All right, Jenny, let's start with you then. 
So actually, super interesting. And I think that you have a lot of macro trends in support for why people are going to want this. So my, so first of all, well done. I totally get what your business is. I get the value prop. However, because I'm giving feedback, I would say that you want to tell it more of a story rather than assume the person you're talking about. You kept on saying you, you, you. And then later you talked about, um, you know, in all hundreds of millions of women want this, you're going to want to flip that around and you're going to want to tell a story about how many people in the world have want to do better by climate, don't know how to do better, and they want to make better food choices. And so what they need is X, Y, Z. And that's exactly what we've built. So you want to tell more of that type of story arc versus assume the person you're pitching to actually is one of the use the way you use the use. Um, and so when you talk about, yeah, it, it, like deep in, you threw out things like perfect time to solve this problem. That's the kind of thing you want up front um, to kind of say, like, the, the the market is screaming in need for this. This is how we know it. And this is how we do it. Um, yeah, those that's my high level uh, feedback. Uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. All right, Guy, your turn. Hey, Ashley, I love your energy. Um, uh, I really, really enjoyed it. And um, I thought it was com a compelling pitch. I'm not a woman. So when you open with women, it's smart to have a target audience. It is. I, you know, I got a lot of feedback in the early days of getting more specific on my target audience. So I respect that. Um, but at the same time, my mind went straight to, yeah, but my wife and I are, are we're, we're equal partners. And you're talking about food choices. My mind went straight to, well, my wife's not doing the shopping. We balance that. So I was like, where is this going? So I get it. Um, I just want to call that out in case you're pitching a male investor. Um, maybe just getting ahead of that because my mind went to a different place and I, and I got there eventually as, as you went through. I happen to know this, um, the broader kind of um, diet, food industry relatively well. Um, it's a space that I looked at in the early days of well. Um, there's a lot of competition here. So people who know this space will probably dig in on that. Noom had big layoffs. So there's just going to be a lot of questions around WW, Noom, and some of the other players. There's a company called Rise that, that you know, fell apart. So mm -hmm. just have that in the back of your head. That's probably where people will go if, if they dig in. Um, okay. And then my only other question was, you mentioned um, you're raising money to build um, Android and iOS. Do you have an app yet? How are people using your software? Or are you pre-launch? -pre we're pre-launched. So right now they're engaging with the content. We're, we've done non-tech tests. So we're, I'm, I'm again on the product side of things like the Wizard of Oz, right? Where I'm basically playing the AI. Um, and then we have a wait list. So we have mocks and all that good stuff, but to actually deploy it, I mean, you know, in the health space, right? You can't mess around with health data. Like, oh, sorry, we lost that. There's a lot of security investment that has to go into it up front and yeah, on the AI space. Makes sense. Jenny, you've probably seen people successful raising money pre-product. Uh, I have advised a company who was very, very successful with this for mental health, and they had a big Facebook community and a very active community, and that's how they pitched the investment. So I'd want to learn a little bit more about that just to validate the traction that people really want this. But um, thank you for clarifying. Like I said, love your energy. It seems like it's a, a great I do, product and fit. I, I do also want to sort of repeat something he said, because I think it's uh, good advice for founders in general, which is um, understand what likely the VC is not going to like, right? Oh my God, there's a, aren't there a million of these in Noom and Weight Watcher and the hundreds of startups that failed? So if you know that, you want to have something in your early pitch that knocks <laughs> that 
that concern out. So while you probably okay. heard, and I know we're out of time, but while you probably heard of XYZ, that no one is doing this. And careful not to overuse okay. AI for all you founders. It's just, it's getting a little overused. And so, yeah. Thank you very much. But great. Yeah, that's great. Thanks. Okay. I, li I like that. I like that app a lot. That, that sounds really neat to me. I would use it. All <laughs> right. You. So we have one more for today. Jenna, we have Jenna Galloway from Fledge. They raised Hi. between 100,000 and 500,000. Yeah, Jenna. Huh? Yeah, of course. Well, thanks for being here. You have two minutes to present your company starting now. All right. My name is Jenna, and I'm the founder and CEO of Fledge. And at Fledge, we believe that every child should have access to learning the basic skills that build their capacity to live a great life. Earlier this year, mental health was declared the second biggest threat to childhood development, and Kids Help Phone experienced a 137% increase in call volume. But not only are our kids struggling, the people who support them are totally burnt out from trying to find the right tools to help support their children, which is time consuming, costly and overwhelming. This is exactly why we're building Fledge, which is the first online platform to gamify mental health so that every child can access the tools they need to thrive. We're an online SaaS platform that can be used at home and in schools, where students K-3 grow their own virtual world by completing activities that mitigate anxiety, improve focus, and develop self-regulation. Just 10 to 15 minutes of use per day makes learning engaging as students practice applying these skills in real time. We validated our approach over the past five years through my first business, which is a brick and mortar. We have over 5,000 existing clients and have trained over 800 educators in North America. Fledge is our next venture to amplify our impact and we're leveraging our existing connections to launch in January of 2023. The global ed tech market is expected to reach a valuation of 127 billion later this year. The North American market is valued at 88 million. And we have an initial uh, market of 400,000 educators with plans to expand into other age ranges and grades. We've raised 120,000 in non-dilutive and are raising a seed round of a million to provide us with the runway we need to launch and find product market fit. Join us in building up our kids by telling one parent or educator about Fledge and encourage them to sign up too. Let's build a network of advocates for changing the way we equip our young people with important life skills. Thank you. That was great and so important too. And now I'll start the feedback, Jenna. Your pacing was very good and you spoke with great confidence. So very well. Oh, thanks. I'm, I struggle with anxiety myself. So this is a passion project and something I really believe in. Oh, that, that that that's good information right there too. I would say that during the pitch. All right, let's go. To, let's start with Jenny this time. So I agree with what Matt just said. Your pacing, your tone, it was it was lovely. I listened to actually every word you said, which was yes. fantastic and and rare. Um, I like what you're doing so much that I'm going to do what I have to, used to have to do to Guillaume, which is to say, pump it up. I just listened to the daily a day ago, two days ago, about the epidemic the our society is facing in our youth, and it's everywhere, right? And so you threw out numbers like 137% increase in call volume, and I'll say that's a piddly data spec compared to what is out there for you to really make your point. So I say when you're fundraising, don't try to be subtle or cute, like be 
talk about the really big points and we really are having an epidemic and you have figured out a way to help. And so I, I, I just think you could ratchet up. And then um, I, it sounds like you have customers and people using it, but I didn't get a feel for how you got to market. How do you get those customers? Do you have a good way to acquire them? So of course, like, especially in the world we're in now, my head goes to CAC versus LTV, you know, cost to acquire versus long-term value and lifetime value, sorry. And so I think if you have it to share, share just a little bit, a speck of it, so that I at least believe you have figured something out of, of how you're going to do that. And then the last thing that I would say is, you know, you say to find product market fit. And I would say you, I would recommend, because it sounds like you've figured out a bunch, it's really wonderful to say, while we have de-risked the business by proving ABC, we want to use this to do xyz and that's really clear we're like fine product market fit feels like sort of too big and too wide uh of of a milestone okay that's great advice thank you very much mm -hmm. hi jenna great job um agree with everything matt and jenny said about pacing and with with the energy i think you have you care so much about this you have an opportunity to bring some energy to the right spots of your pitch um i have two things one I love the bricks and mortar to SaaS story. You have an unfair advantage, which is you've trained 5,000 educators, you have a bricks and mortar store. To me, that's huge. That's a reason for me to believe you and trust you. Now I know that I would also dig into it. I'd wanna visit one of those stores if they still exist. If they don't, I'd wanna know why they don't exist. So I would wanna go down that path pretty deeply, but I think that's a really, really big advantage. And now you're basically trying to convert that to SaaS. I love that that was pretty early in your pitch. It definitely grabbed my attention. Um, second is I wrote down who is your buyer. You got to that, but much later in the pitch. And I had that question earlier on just personally. The reason I had that question is I'm a B2B person. My business is B2B. I know B2B really, really well. I'm not so good at business to consumer. Jenny happens to be a rare breed who does both really well. Um, or maybe not. She doesn't think she does. I'm way more B2B to C, but carry on. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to figure out what camp do I fit in? Cause if you're B2C, if I had capital, I couldn't help you that much as an investor beyond giving you cash, which is probably not what you want. So even when you talk about selling to educators, I don't know, are you selling to the schools? How big are the schools? Is it a, you know, is, is it so that that's where my mind went. I would love more clarity on that because it'll help me put in myself into the right camp. Absolutely. And that's great feedback. That's definitely something we're exploring at the moment, whether we're going to go straight to the individual consumers or focus on more of an enterprise organizational model or a hybrid version of both. Um, a lot of our competitors do do both, but we want to do it really well. So yeah, great feedback. Thank you. And, yeah, and as work. a parent of two teenagers, thank you. Thank you for doing yes. something. Yes. Thank, thank you yeah. so much for having me. Of course, Thanks, and, and please reapply, and we'll have you back on to picture again with an updated thing. Absolutely. All right, Jenna. Well, thank you so much. Bye. Well, that concludes today's episode. This has been one of my favorites. It's it's been great. Uh, Jenny Guillaume. and Guillaume were <laughs> were fantastic, and really gave us a lot of great great feedback and steps on raising seed stage and also Series A. And if you missed any of the beginning, it is live on YouTube right now, and we'll have it up on TechCrunch.com shortly. So until next week, which I, I have to plug one more time, is our special episode in Minneapolis. Please join us then. Oh, we'll, we'll we'll see you next week. Thank you Thanks, so much. Matt.